Today we're looking at the book of Jude and near the end of the book, the command, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Take a minute to think about that. Are you in the love of God? We saw last week why this is so necessary. As we read about the men who have gone before us who have not kept themselves in the love of God, as we read the warnings against those who are among us who will follow after their own lusts, This week we're going to study what it means to keep ourselves in the love of God and how to do it, what it means. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Do you have the love of God in your heart? We've got to start there because... If you don't, can you keep yourselves in the love of God? No, of course not. So as we read, we'll read the entirety of the book of Jude. I want you to pay attention as we get up to verse 19, 20, 21. This command comes in the context of the warnings that we've been reading about already. And see if you can note how it tells us to go about keeping yourselves in the love of God. So please stand for the reading of God's word from Jude chapter 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints." For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels, who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds, under darkness, for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same way, these men also, by dreaming, 
defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand. And the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. And for pay, they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves. Clouds without water, carried along by winds. Autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam. Wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Keep yourselves in the love of God. First thing I want you to note about that command is that is a plural word, yourselves. This is not keep yourself in the love of God. This is keep yourselves in the love of God. There's a big difference between those two things, isn't there? If it was only keep yourself in the love of God, then all of you would turn inward, look down at yourself, and start asking yourself questions if you're paying attention. But keep yourselves requires you to always have your head up. 
thinking about those who are around you, knowing that you can't fulfill this command without also thinking about the other people that are in the service, that are in the church, that you're interacting with. You don't do this alone. We do it together. And we're going to look at the details of what that looks like with those who are caught in sin, which is described in verses 22 and 23, another day, not this morning. In the meantime, it's important for us to recognize that no part of this command is purely on your own, by yourself. Keep yourselves. You're responsible for the people around you. The people around you are responsible for you in fulfilling this command. In other words, you could change this to one of the one another commands. Keep one another, yourself and others, yourselves, in the love of God. What an encouragement it is that we aren't alone in the work, isn't it? If it was just me here this morning, sitting in this gym, alone by myself, well, I wouldn't preach, right? So I might be able to pray, read the Bible, those are good things, but how much strength do I gain by having other people here who are reminding me of the truth of God's word simply by showing up, right? You realize that when you show up to worship the Lord, you're declaring to me, to each other, to the watching world that God is real, that it's worth taking time to go and study his word that it's worth worshiping him, that he is worthy of our praise. All of these things are part of the work of keeping ourselves in the love of God. And so it's a, it's a joy that we don't do it alone. How much strength do each of us have on our own? Alone, we're cold. Alone, we're easily overcome. Alone, we're easily surprised. But two together keep warm, and a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And so I start off this morning encouraging you and saying you're not alone in this work. In this command, keep yourselves in the love of God. You're not alone. God established a church that is made up of many people. This church itself may not have many people, but it has many people, really, Many kinds of people. We have diversity here. Maybe not the kind of diversity that the world expects. 
But when you put men and women together, that's diversity. Men and women are different, are they not? And so our world wants there to be diversity in the workplace, right? And deny that there's any difference between men and women. Well, then who cares if there's diversity in the workplace? Do we need men and women in the workplace, or are they the same? Which is it? There's no logic to the rebellion of man against God. All right? What I say is, you want diversity? Come to church. There you have men and women. There you have young and old. There you have people who are tempted by every sin. The whole spectrum is represented. And those who have fallen into all of those sins are present. Well, that's not the kind of diversity we want. Oh, but it is. God's love is poured out on sinners. And so if we are going to keep ourselves in the love of God, we will not do it alone. What does that mean? Keep yourself. Keep ourselves. Well, the first part of that should be obvious. It means you have to love God. Right? You can't keep yourself in the love of God if you don't love him in the first place. I already said that, but I want to reiterate that. We must love God. I just want to take a minute and ask you to think about that. You know, I've said in the past, love is a verb, quoting the great Christian music artist, D.C. Talk. Terrible. But it's true, love is a verb, right? But now, now I want to I take a step all the way to the other side of the continuum for a second. I want, you, I want to ask you a question. What does love feel like? Okay, instead of, instead of trying to push you to recognize that loving is acting, okay, I want to push you to, to, to be introspective for a second. Look inside yourself and ask the question, what does love feel like? What does it feel like to love somebody? Okay? How would you describe when you feel love about somebody? Well, with reference to that other person, it means that you don't want to be away from him. Right? So if we love God, we don't want to be separate from Him. We don't want to be away from Him. We want to be with Him. This is what love feels like. If you love God, you want to be in His presence. This is why David, man after God's own heart, 
delighted to go into the house of the Lord because he loved God. He didn't want to be away from him. If you love somebody, you can't stand being at odds with him, right? You want the pain to go away. You don't want that tension to be there, that constant fighting of being at odds. You don't want that if you love them. Now, of course, there's other reasons to want that tension to go away that don't have to do with love. Maybe you don't love the person, and so you just want to dismiss them to get rid of that, pain, that painful tension. But that's not love, right? If you want to just dismiss God and pretend as though you're not in conflict, that's impossible. You may be able to dull your conscience and deaden your heart for a time, whether through alcohol or drugs, turning to sex or to any number of other idolatries that are going to be an escape for you. But ultimately, you will feel that pain. You will feel that tension of being at odds with God. And if you love him, you want that pain to go away. How? Well, by being reconciled to him. If you hate him, you want that pain to go away. But the only thing you do is continue to kick against him. To become more and more bitter and angry. That he's given you any commands. That he expects anything of you. Angry even that he sent his son, that he's offering you hope and a future, and forgiveness of your sins. But those who love God can't stand being at odds with him. We we hate when our sin is in between us and God. We want to be on the other side. We want to have turned away from our sin. We want it to be gone out of our lives. Why? Well, because we want to be right with God because we love him. No other reason. What does love feel like? Is there anybody that you love? You want their approval, don't you? It's painful when somebody you love does not approve of what you're doing, right? That hurts. And so, again, there's various ways of responding at that point, but that desire for approval comes out of the fact that we love them. Somebody that you hate, you don't care whether they approve of you. Right? We just give them the finger right back. Well, 
I hate you too. What do I care? Right? But somebody who you love, it's not so easy, is it? It cuts us when they don't approve of us. It cuts us when they don't approve of what we're doing, of how we're living our life. God does not approve of our sin. And so our desire for approval from God, if we love Him, leads us out of sin, doesn't it? What does loving somebody look like? It it looks like wanting to know what they think. You want to have conversations with somebody that you love, don't you? It's okay just to sit in silence with them, too. But if you love them, you care what they're thinking. You want to find out what their dreams are. You want to know where they like going on vacation. You want to find out what your things are that you have in common and where the differences are. These are things that you want to do with somebody that you love. And so you want to know what they think. Do you love God? Do you want to know what he thinks? He's told us what he thinks. He's given us his word. Do we care? Do we love him? If we love him, we want to know what this says. And if we love God, we will keep his commandments. Because keeping his commandments is the only way to stay on the, on the side of love. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. As if that is news, right? This is not a new command. This is an old command. It's an obvious command. It's the most, it's the most obvious command in the world. It's the creator, the one who made you, If you love him, you're going to do what he tells you to do. So to keep ourselves in the love of God, it's a beautiful thing. Do you see the side of having a loving relationship with somebody and how desirable that is? You don't want to lose that. You don't want to be at odds with somebody if you can help it, right? I mean, even people that we despise, even people that we hate, if, if we were given the choice, you know what? You could live in a loving relationship with that person. Really? They'd have to change an awful lot. Yeah, no, it's possible. You could live in a loving... Would you like to? Well, yeah. I don't particularly enjoy being at odds with people, right? 
Well, do you enjoy being at odds with your creator? Do you enjoy being at odds with the one who made you? No, it's infinitely more painful. It's infinitely more intolerable for our hearts. And the biggest reason why it's so intolerable is not because he's the one who made us, although that's a big part of it. The biggest reason is because we know we are the problem, not him. It's not that he needs to change. It's that we need to change. And we see that. It's impossible for us to have any knowledge of who God is without recognizing it's my fault that I'm at odds with him. Every time there's a problem, it's my fault. He's not the one who needs to change. And so if I tell you this morning, it is possible to live in a loving relationship with God, you would have to be insane to say, no, I don't want that. Only an insane person would say that. Being right with God? Yes. Yes, I want that. There's a way? Yes, there's a way. It's not too late? No, it's not too late. Where does this love for God within us come from? The Bible says that that love comes from the fact that God first loved us. Do you understand? You're the one who needs to change. You're the one who's the problem in the relationship. And he loves you at that point, while you're still in your sins, Christ died for the ungodly, for those who were refusing to love him. Not for those who loved him. He came not for the righteous, not for the healthy, not for the people who were good, for the sinners. And so if we are to keep ourselves in the love of God, it means abiding in his love for us that came first. You see that? It's so important. Because if I say to you, you must love God. Love God, love God, love God. without also then turning and saying, you do understand that he already loves you, don't you? You see how important that is in the relationship. That's the only reason you could have to hope that it's not permanently broken. You sin against him once. And what's the temptation? What's the accusation that Satan says? It's hopeless. Now you've blown it. Now it's too late. Now you've crossed a line that can't be forgiven. No, you're done for. I've got you now. And God says, no, I love sinners. I sent my son 
so that they may be forgiven, to drag them out of the mud, to save them out of a miry place, to unentangle them from their sins, to lift them out of the pit, to drag them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And why? Because he loved us. And now you have hope that you can love him. That you can be, remain in his love. You see how love is, is both directions there? Of course it's hopeless for me to tell you love God if he has not loved you first. And yet he loved us first. And so, this is the gospel, the good news. Christ died for the unholy, the unjust, the unrighteous sinners, you and me. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And so you say, okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. I want to I do that. I want that right relationship with God. I, wanna, I want to keep myself and, and others. I want to help others. I, uh, but now how? How? Can you help me, Pastor? <laughs> Can you help me, Jude? Right? Because it sounds all good and right and true, and yet so often I find myself not there. Well, Jude gives us some details, not just about what we're to do, but how. Build yourselves up on your most holy faith. There's three, there's, there's these four phrases that go together, and in the middle you've got the, the central command. Keep yourselves in the love of God. The other ones have I-N-G on them. Okay? I-N-G, at the end of the word, what's that sound like? Ing. What are they? Where do we see that? Building yourselves up on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Keep yourselves in the love of God. So let's look at those. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Well, this is where it starts. If you want to have love of God, It starts by having faith. What is faith? Faith is believing what you can't see. And sometimes this is what makes, this is right at that point, is what makes people turn away and what makes them angry at God. 
No, I want to see. I don't want it to have to be by faith. I want to, I want it, I want to be able to see. No, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. I told you what the gospel is. The holy faith is believing that. Can you see God? No. I cannot see God. But he always sees me. How helpful is that? Central to the faith, isn't it? God is God. Believe in God. Believe also in Jesus Christ, his Son, whom he sent for the forgiveness of sins. And so what am I doing this morning? I'm proclaiming the gospel to you. Why? Because I want you to believe. Are you saying I'm not a Christian pastor? Well, yes and no. Some of us are and some of us aren't. My point is we all need to hear the gospel. We all need to hear the good news. This is not just some message for people who are out there who aren't with us. All those people who have never gone to church before. Yes, it is a wonderful message for them to hear, but it's a message for us. Why? Well, because this is how I have the opportunity to build you up in the faith to remind you of these things. And this is something that you can do as well. The gospel, the good news. This is something that is, that, that is helpful to remind one another of. But in order to, to have any reason to remind each other of this, right, you would have to be actually having real conversations with one another. You'd have to actually explain to people what your fears are. You'd have to tell them what your weaknesses are. You'd have to confess your sins. To one another. If you refuse to do those things, the people around you cannot help you. They cannot build you up in your most holy faith. And you can't build them up either. Do you understand how important that is? Confess your sins one to another. And then proclaim God's forgiveness of sins. How else can you build yourselves up on your most holy faith? Study God's words. Study them together. 
and you're reading, and you find encouragement and strength in God's Word, share it. Don't keep it to yourself. And when people look at you like you're crazy, people in the church are like, okay, uh, thanks for sending me that text with that Bible verse, I guess. I mean, didn't do anything for me, you know. I've had that reaction. Somebody sends me a Bible verse by text, and I'm like, what? Is this like a message? I don't get it. Well, then let them know. I don't get it. I mean, are you trying to tell me something? Is this a coded message? Are you... Are you saying I haven't been are you saying I haven't been loving? What are you trying to say to me by sending me this? Are you going to get defensive? Are you going to call them up and say, "How dare you send Bible verses to me?" Well, no, you're just going to ignore it, right? Okay, whatever. I'm busy. Does it not mean anything to you? Does God's word mean nothing to you? Well, maybe at that moment you don't get what they got. So call them. Ask them. Looks like you've been encouraged by this, strengthened by this. What's going on in your life that this was so helpful to you? I want to be a help to you. Build yourselves up in the most holy faith. You see that? Don't miss these opportunities. That's all I'm saying. Take take a minute to send the text. And yeah, you know, maybe they will think you're silly. You've never noticed that before? Well, no, okay? I mean, yes, I have, maybe. Shut up. Look, I'm trying to get you to understand real life. This is real life. These kinds of communications with one another, this is what it's like. You have these insecurities, you have these doubts, you have these fears. And then, somebody sends a Bible verse. Or somebody calls you and starts telling you about what's hard in their life. And it's like, I don't want this right now. Are you going to build yourselves up in the most holy faith? You must know God's word. You must study it with one another. You must remind one another of these truths. What else do we see? How are we to keep ourselves in the love of God? Well, praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. What a gift prayer is. What a joy it is that we can enter into God's presence. That we can make our requests directly to the creator of the universe. Now, what do you want? What do you want from God? You understand how much bigger a question this is? How 
how pathetic and stupid the story of a genie in a bottle is. All these rules, and you can't do this, and you got to have that, you know, right, and you got to rub here, and then, okay, now you get three. God commands us to make our requests known to Him, and He knows ahead of time what we need. And did I mention He is the one who made you? and the universe, that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, a.k.a. all of them. All of the cows are God's cows. You're all like, what do cows have to do with anything? Okay, all of the dollars are God's dollars. This is money. This is provision. All of the world is God's world. This is not Satan's world. Satan is not in control. God is in control. Now, are you going to pray to him or not? Think of, think of prayer as communication for a second, because it most certainly is communication, all right? Now, just take a step back, just like I did with love. I want you to just take a step back and think about the word communication. Okay, what is communication? Well, today we think immediately of what? Facebook. Okay. Are you making your desires known on Facebook? Yes or no? Absolutely. You're making your desires known. If you post on Facebook, you're making your desires known. You may not be saying, this is what I want, fill in the blank. But you know what? Facebook can figure out what you want. They know you're making your desires known, aren't you? Even in the most shallow, self-serving method of communication that's ever been invented, we make our desires known, don't we? Now, when communication today is so shallow and so self-serving, it's hard to remember sometimes that deep communication with another person looks like getting to know them. See, Facebook is all about putting things out there, right? And consuming. It's not about building a relationship. It's not about getting to know somebody. When you get to know somebody, do you spend time on Facebook with them? No, not if you can help it. You spend time with them in real communication, right? That's what prayer is. Communication with God. Now, is it easy to get to know somebody? 
do we have the little chip? You know, like, oh, here's me. You can have my chip. And plug it in. You'll know me. No. Getting to know somebody takes time and effort. Prayer is effort. Getting to know God. You will get to know him by praying to him. It's not just one directional. It will keep us in love with God. It will keep us in the love of God. Prayer will. Because it will be us seeking the Lord. What else can we say about prayer? Well, it's to be done in the Holy Spirit. In other words, not prayer in pride. Our prayers are not to be like our Facebook posts. Consumed with our idolatries, filled up with self-serving, with pride, with fear. How many things that are posted on Facebook are posted out of fear? How many things that are not posted on Facebook are not posted out of fear? I don't want to I don't want to offend. I don't want to get anybody mad at me. Well, how, many, how much of our day-to-day interactions with people are dominated by our fear or our pride? What's the first fruit of the Spirit? It's love. If you pray in the Holy Spirit, what is the result? Now you say, well, how can I pray in the Holy Spirit? I don't understand. That's like, okay, how do I get from here to there? My prayer life is terrible. I don't pray. I don't do that work. I don't know how to, like, command the Holy Spirit. Wherever two or three are gathered together in Jesus Christ's name, he is in their midst. So you're saying I can't pray alone in the Holy Spirit? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying you've got to remember this work is together. Just like if somebody wants to become a Christian. It doesn't happen with them on their own. They have to hear. Somebody has to tell them what they need. And then they have to enter into Christ's church. Right? The, the same thing continues to hold true for Christians. And so we pray with and for one another. It requires us to look outward at others and see that there are needs there. And that we be willing to give of ourselves to serving them by praying. If you don't have any idea what to pray for for other people in this church, well, of course you're not going to spend time in prayer. 
I mean, really, how long does it take for you to list the 20,000 things that you want to God again? You know what? Let's just sum this up. I want to be rich and healthy and happy for the rest of my life. Praying in the Holy Spirit, right? Is praying in the Holy Spirit self-serving? No. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you don't ask for what you want and what you need. You do. But if that's all you ever do, really, your prayer is just shallow and over in in a heartbeat, right? And you begin to wonder, what's the point? Why? Well, because it's not about love. It's not about getting to know God. It's not about serving one another through praying for one another. Prayer is a mighty weapon. A mighty, mighty weapon. When God says that whatever we ask by faith, he will accomplish. When he says that they will remove mountains into the sea by asking. Is he talking about something that's Pathetic and shallow and weak? No. Is it worth learning how to pray? Oh, yeah. It's worth learning how to pray. How many of you remember the first time you picked up any sort of weapon? A gun, a real gun, or maybe a real sword? Do you have any idea what to do with it? Like, uh. Okay, so I got the rifle. You know, if you were on your own, you never just do whatever with it. You know you'd break your shoulder, right? What would you do? You've got to practice, don't you? You women who have never picked up a weapon, you know, the same thing holds true in the kitchen. The first time you pick up a knife, you remember, watch your little kids. Watch them try to use a knife. It's hysterical. Is this what your prayer life is like? It shouldn't be. What your two-year-old can accomplish with a knife is hurting themselves. What a master chef can accomplish with a knife will boggle your mind. Prayer is powerful, but you must wield it. You must practice. You must work at it. Finally, we move on from Prayer to waiting. Waiting. This is probably the hardest part for many of us. Prayer might be the hardest. Waiting is also very hard. Waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. 
Why is it so hard? Well, because we have so many fears. Waiting anxiously. Why is it so hard? Well, because it's hard to wait anxiously for a long time. Isn't it? You can begin very easily to wait not anxiously. You can begin very easily to wait despairingly. You can begin very quickly to wait hopelessly. But waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life pushes us all the way back to the beginning, having faith, building ourselves up on the faith, doesn't it? But what's the point? Why does he put this at the end? Well, because what he's saying is remember what's coming. Remember what's coming. This will build your love for God. This will keep us in our love of God if we remember what's coming. What's coming? What are we waiting for? The mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And so we've come full circle. We're back to the gospel. We're back to what the promise is if we repent and turn to him in faith. The promise is he will have mercy on the day of judgment. And we will receive eternal life that we don't deserve. That we could never do anything to gain. But that Christ bought for us by his blood. The mercy of God is in direct contrast to what is promised to those who do not remain in the love of God. This whole book is such an intense book because it keeps drawing that contrast. So verse 19 says, These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit, but you. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. There is no hope for those who reject God's word. There is no waiting anxiously for the mercy that's to come because there is no mercy coming. There is only an expectation of judgment. And after that, if it a lake of fire. I've had multiple discussions this past week with people who were formerly in the faith. What a sad, sad state they are in. People who have rejected God's promises, who have rejected his word,
And so the more we focus on these things, the more we live our lives waiting anxiously for the future, the more we recognize the starkness of the contrast between the holy that God has chosen and justified and the unholy in their end. And that distinction is amazing to us. It's a frightful distinction. Don't let that distinction be a stumbling block to you in your faith. Wait anxiously for the mercy of God. Our sin deserves death. His mercy leads to eternal life. Wait on that promise. Anxiously. With me. With one another. Let's pray.